February. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Hope you are doing well and thank you so much for joining us whether you are listening live via Twitter spaces or if you're downloading this episode, catching it on YouTube. Thank you so much. My name is Randy Kure and uh, it is a very special edition of What's Up the Sports Podcast as the NBA trade deadline has passed. A lot of big names uh, have a new home. Here to break everything down is a dear friend of the show, uh, known as the Pack Zone on uh, various social media plat- plat- platforms. Excuse me. His name is Jerome Boateng, and he joins uh, me from the ATL. Jerome, how's it going, my man? It's been a while. Yeah, it's it's been a while, man, but definitely doing good. Uh, was able to catch the Hawks yesterday. We got the dub against the Skeleton Phoenix Suns. Um, you know, definitely good to watch them get a win, even though, uh, you know, it wasn't the best performed game. But, you know, we got a lot to go over in this podcast, and I'm definitely glad you had me on. No, uh, absolutely. And uh, it, it appears that there is some breaking news uh, that uh, Jerome and I just heard. In case uh, if you haven't heard it, uh, I believe it just broke a few moments ago where uh, the four team trade that is involved, uh, Jerome's uh, Atlanta Hawks and, uh, the Detroit uh, Pistons, the Golden State Warriors, and the Portland Trailblazers may not come to fruition after all, as uh, Gary Payton uh, II may have a particular injury. Um, I actually uh, did want to chat with you very quickly. Uh, we are definitely going to get into basketball. We're definitely going to get into what is going on with this four-team trade, but uh you know, I I was wondering because uh, I did know that you went to the uh, Hawks Sun game, uh, Suns game at State Farm. Of course, uh, Kevin Durant was not uh, in the uh, lineup for Phoenix. But uh, yeah, you mentioned it was a it was a, a skeleton staff uh, for both mm-hmm. teams, uh, and it seemed that Atlanta uh, really had Phoenix's number from start to finish. I mean, uh, describe the atmosphere. Was it uh, was it kind of uh, uh you know uh like the less exciting in terms of uh in a way in a way just in a way um just because you know uh it was you know we kind of knew that the star players weren't going to be playing Devin Booker has been injured for a few weeks and uh Kevin Durant of course isn't going to be coming over the day after he was traded to Phoenix so I think it was an environment of, you know, definitely had uh, quite a few Suns fans. Surprised there was that many Suns fans in Atlanta. But, um, you know, the environment was definitely solid. Uh, you know, it was a good game. I think the Hawks definitely played, uh, you know, they were, it was up and down a bit. They played two really solid quarters. That was the second and the third quarter. That was the first and the third quarter. 
Um, but I do feel like the fourth quarter, they definitely kind of sputtered a bit. And if the Suns had their full complement of players, they definitely could have taken advantage of it. And it definitely could have been a much closer game. Um, but in that fourth quarter, the Hawks, they kind of started missing shots. And luckily, the Suns kept on missing shots. Enough so to where when Trey Young got it going in the middle of the fourth quarter, he was able to really close the chap, close the book. He made two big threes in a row, and that was really the point that put us up by 15, and that was kind of what sealed it for the Hawks. But other than that, it was a solid atmosphere. Um, you know, got to see Chris Paul live in person for the first time, but he was really the only like kind of like notable player playing. And the Suns, of course, they didn't have their they didn't have their star shooting guard or either of the wings that they just traded away. So it was really a game that the Hawks kind of had to win. If they lost, it really wouldn't have been excusable. Well, yeah, you'd uh, have to think uh, that as much. Uh, but uh, with uh, the trades that did take place, obviously anything that uh, anything could happen. And uh, as mentioned, we are going to get to uh, the Hawks as well as the Toronto Raptors, who's the team that is near and dear to my heart in a couple of moments. But uh, Jerome, obviously, this is um, we are leading up to Super Bowl Sunday and the uh, Philadelphia Eagles are going to be taking on the Kansas City Chiefs in Glendale, Arizona for Super Bowl 57. I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, have a quick chat about the Super Bowl. And uh, if you have any plans uh, yourself, uh, are you uh, uh, looking forward to the big game? I'm definitely looking forward to the big game. Uh, this is definitely one of the better Super Bowls that I've seen um, coming into it. Definitely uh, the two of the best teams in both conferences all year long. And how I uh, plan on spending it really is going to be one of the best times I'm going to have. It's going to be me in my room and I'm just going to watch the game and I'm going to be chilling out because I always go to parties and I always do something with other people. And, you know, that's fun. You know, having a game be a party like that's cool. But you know how it is. People mostly pay attention to the commercials and people are talking throughout the whole game. So you don't really get to pay full attention to it until the fourth quarter comes around. And that's when people kind of start paying more attention. So with this game, especially because I have to work at 11 p.m. So as soon as the Ooh. game is done. I got to go right to work. Now, if it goes over time, I'm definitely going to call in and say, hey, I'm going to be late to work. Sorry. But, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and watch the game in my room. I'm going to enjoy this game between these two great teams. And honestly, I can't think of a better time. And uh, this is going to be a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I have to say that uh, I'm not the biggest football fan in the world myself. Um, I... Uh, I do have uh, quite a strong uh, tradition with a, a, a dear friend of mine who always hosts a, a great Super Bowl party. And uh, we start by uh, getting into some video games and then a whole lot of uh, beer and wings and uh, other things that uh, God wants us to in, uh, imbibe in during Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, that, hell, but, that sounds like one hell of a time right there. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And really, uh, up until recently, uh, it's really the only time I play video games and uh and uh really it's the uh one of the very few times that I watch Super Bowl Sunday uh from start to finish uh so watch a football game excuse me from uh from start to finish uh you know uh, that being said uh it's it, it is always amazing at how people are so enamored about 
the halftime show. And I got to admit, Jerome, I just do not uh, have, uh, I don't have an affection for music mm-hmm. uh, altogether. Uh, Rihanna, of course, is the um, headliner for the halftime show. Uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, the halftime show in a general sense, whether it was Rihanna, Maroon 5 uh, a couple years ago, Bruce Springsteen did it. Um, do you get excited for it? Depends on who's performing. Uh, you know, for me, there's some names that I get excited for. I remember in the mid-2000s, I rarely ever cared because after the whole Jennifer Lopez incident, the NFL kind of went away from, you know, uh, for lack of a better word. The Sorry, early- Jennifer Lopez or Janet Jackson? Janet Jackson, yeah. Janet okay, Jackson, there we go. My bad, my bad. Yeah, after that whole thing, they didn't really do any R&B stuff. They didn't want to do any pop. They really kept it to country and rock. So, you know, I think recently they've wanted to appeal to the more younger demographic, to the more, uh, you know, people who, because they know nowadays like hip hop and R&B, that's more so in the forefront of popular music. So we've seen in recent years, they brought in The Weeknd, they brought in Bruno Mars and Beyonce. Last year was honestly one of, that's probably going to go down as my favorite all time, just because Every one of those guys I love, they had Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, uh, Eminem and Kendrick Lamar and Mary J. Blige. Like that is kind of like an all star lineup of, you know, 90s hip hop heads. And uh, for me, Kendrick Lamar, he's one of my favorite artists of all time, one of my favorite rappers of all time. So, you know, being able to see him perform in the Super Bowl with all those other legends last year's definitely I, I don't see that topping anything. But um, I think that now that they're kind of like, you know, playing toward a more younger crowd and trying to steer less away toward the rock in the country, I feel like more and more people are going to start getting excited for it. Me personally, not too big of a Rihanna person, but I definitely do know some songs. And, you know, she's definitely a, a, a good performer. She hasn't really like made music in a while. So I know people are going to be excited for it. So to answer that question, long story short, um, it depends on who's performing, whether or not I get excited for the performance. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I have to say that a lot of people were so critical of the Jennifer Lopez Shakira show. And I have no idea what they're talking about, because uh, the way I saw it, like, uh, I, I like the songs. Mm-hmm. I uh, They move great. They look great. Um, you know, I don't know what the, uh, the problem was, but I mean, like. Most of the time, I got to tell you, I'm either in the washroom or I'm on my phone because, yeah, I'll watch it. Now, last year's show, obviously, with uh, who you just mentioned, it was phenomenal. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, and I know that I am uh, an anomaly. I know that I'm a rare breed, um, that uh, a lot of people are into it, the halftime show. I'm not. I get it. In terms of Rihanna, I, I, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, it, I could I could take it or leave it. I mean, maybe it'll be good. Maybe if she plays all the songs that I personally like, but I've never been like, you know, too huge on her. But, you know, it, it's a good way to get a lot of the, I know the female demographic watching. I think they know that the Super Bowl is just the one game that no matter who you are, whether you watch all the football in the world or don't watch a single game until the Super Bowl, like yourself, there's going to be a lot of eyes there. So I think they want to have artists there who are going to grab as much attention as possible, who as many people as possible are going to like. And, you know, people all around the world, they know uh, Rihanna. 
And uh, mm-hmm. I think that they're definitely going to be excited for this performance. It's going to be it's going to be a good performance. I think Rihanna is a, a, a OK artist. Um, you know, she's been around for a while and uh, this is probably the biggest show that she's going to do. So I know she's going to bring her a game. Yeah, no, uh, that goes without saying for sure. I mean, uh, uh, why don't we get into the uh, the big game uh, itself? And obviously, uh, Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, for a relatively young guy is uh, got a lot on his plate. And uh, this is the third time that he is uh, uh, taking part in the Super Bowl. He uh, was uh, just named uh, this season's MVP. Uh, and uh, a lot of people are already putting him as uh, the heir apparent to Tom Brady. Uh uh, uh, do you think, uh, like, how much pressure do you think uh, somebody like Mahomes has, considering uh, that he uh, didn't have the greatest performance the last time he was in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I think games like this are what's going to set his legacy, because like you said, man, they're definitely trying to hype him up as the next, you know, face of the league. What a Joe Montana was in the 80s, what Brady has been the last 20 years. That's what they're setting him up to be, and he has earned that because that's how great he has played. But the the last Super Bowl he played in did not have a great game, even though you could really talk about his teammates kind of not stepping up to the plate for him. Um, you know, overall, it, was, it wasn't a good performance for the Chiefs. Um, and, you know, you look at the last Super Bowl he played, the first Super Bowl he played in, it's not like he was spectacular up until that fourth quarter where he led the comeback. So if he goes out there and loses another Super Bowl, people are going to start to say like, yeah, he's played in three Super Bowls and in all three of them, he hasn't really been that great except for just one quarter. But at the same time, if he does lead the Chiefs to a win over a team that I do think has the most talented roster in the league, if he's able to get the Chiefs up that hill again and win the Super Bowl, then we're really going to start to see those GOAT conversations ramp up. You already see people like saying that, hey, we didn't need to wait for Michael Jordan to claim that he was the greatest player of all time. Why are we waiting for Patrick Mahomes? Well, these are the games that he's going to have to win if they do, if we do want to bring him up to that level. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, there is a small belief that maybe Tom Brady uh, comes out of retirement. Uh, you know, uh, he did announce uh, for a second time that he is uh, stepping away from the game. Uh, a lot of people were, are uh, wondering what Aaron Rodgers' move was. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett was uh, uh, picked up by your New York Jets. And uh, there was a, a belief that maybe Rodgers was going to follow suit. They do have a, a relationship, uh, Rodgers and Hackett. Uh, well, uh, uh, first of all, would you love to see Dar- Aaron Rodgers in, with the Jets, number one? Number two, do you think he's going to go there? Man, I wish you could see my face right now because I've just been <laughs> shaking my head from the point you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett. Listen, Aaron Rodgers is a legend. Okay. I understand that. He's a great, he's an all time great, but he is 39 years old. Last season, 
he didn't even have a game where he threw for over 300 yards. And I think that Tom Brady has kind of distorted a lot of people's view of older quarterbacks. They think that, you know, hey, Tom Brady was able to throw it at 39. Aaron Rodgers is going to be just fine. But that doesn't work for every quarterback. And we're already starting to see signs that Aaron Rodgers is starting to deteriorate. If that doesn't convince the Jets further, then just think back to when we got another old Green Bay legend in Brett Favre. <laughs> like, that didn't work. It worked for half a season. And then the second half of the season, he broke down because his shoulder was injured. And he's an old person. So he wasn't able to heal as fast. Like, we need to learn from past mistakes. This is a good, solid, young team i understand we do need a quarterback in here but we don't have to spend two three first round picks on aaron Rodgers. i'd much rather just go ahead throw a second round pick at the oak at not oakland i almost said at the las vegas raiders and get Derek carr right now the price for Derek carr is at a third round pick if we could just throw a second and a fourth for Derek Carr, he's going to be on the team for at least another four or five years. Yeah, he doesn't have the reputation of an Aaron Rodgers, but we saw last year he was able to carry that Raiders team to a playoff game. And that Raiders team didn't have a good old line, didn't have great receivers, only really had Josh Jacobs as a solid running back. And he would have much more weapons on New York. And that's all we really need. We don't need to swing for the fences and hope that a 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers can go back to the MVP level. That's that's same old Jets. We don't need to be the same old Jets. And uh, <laughs> So I'm hoping Aaron Rodgers just steers clear. Just go to Las Vegas. Let them deal with all them shenanigans, especially with him getting into psychedelics and all the stuff that he's had with, like, you know, COVID last year. I don't want any of that coming to New York because the media circus is already bad enough. Aaron Rodgers dealing with New York media, no thank you. Just just no thank you. Yeah, it does seem that uh, Aaron Rodgers has uh, uh, made a couple of interesting choices. Uh, I don't know if uh, I understand that he was dating a particular woman and, uh, uh, you know, his... uh, seem to be a little bit yeah. uh has a couple of controversial views and uh i mean uh between uh, a 39 year old aaron Rodgers or a potential 31 year old Derek carr uh who could a team like the new york jets uh benefit from that remains to be seen yeah, uh, even jimmy garoppolo like at the at least at least jimmy garoppolo has proven he can lead teams through the playoffs so you know there are other options out there besides aaron Rodgers, man who do you think is going to win the big game Oh, okay. So when it comes to the Super Bowl, man, I think this is a very interesting one because the AFC all year long has been dominated by their star quarterbacks. Like that's been the big story for all the AFC teams. And when it comes to the NFC teams, teams like the Eagles, the 49ers, the Seahawks, not really led by star quarterbacks per se, but really have complete teams. So I think this is the ultimate test of, you know, what's more important in the NFL, the roster building, or is it just the fact that you need that dude at quarterback that can lead you to the promised land? And I think on paper, the Eagles, they kind of just have a leg up on every position, um, especially when it comes to the O-line and D-line. They have one of the best offensive lines and defensive lines in the NFL, and that's usually what the Super Bowl comes down to. It comes down to the trenches. But you also look at the receivers. They have a better receiving core than the Chiefs. They have better corners than the Chiefs, pass rushers. Like, you know, the Chiefs are a good team. They're in the Super Bowl for a reason. But the Eagles, they have one of the best rosters in the NFL. Um, 
I will say this, though. Patrick Mahomes, he's been viewed as the next potential GOAT for a reason. And I think this is going to be a huge test on his part, and he is the ultimate equalizer. So I'll be like, my prediction is this. I think that the Chiefs are going to win because it's going to be a close game. If it's a close game into the fourth quarter, then I'm going to go with the better quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the league. However, if the game becomes a blowout, my prediction is it would be the Eagles blowing out the Chiefs because the Eagles, they're built to blow out teams. They could just run the ball down your throat when they get a big lead and they can keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. So I don't see the Chiefs blowing out the Eagles, but if it is a close game in the fourth quarter, then I do think Patrick Mahomes is going to is gonna pull that one out. Uh, Jalen Hurts has, has had a solid year. One of my favorite quarterbacks. I've rooted for him since he was back in Alabama. I didn't think he would make it this far. So I'm very, very pleased and very surprised with what he's been able to do. I would love to see him win a Super Bowl. But uh, when the chips are d- down and when they need the quarterbacks to make a play, I got to go with Patrick Mahomes. I said it earlier on Patrick's happy hour that the Chiefs are going to win 23 to 21, and it's probably going to come down to a Harrison Bucker last second field goal. Wow. Okay. That's pretty uh, specific. Okay. So uh, you're uh, so sorry. You're saying you're saying Chiefs uh, and you're saying it's a close game. If it's a blowout, it's going to go. Uh, it's a blowout for Philly. I think I think Mahomes is going to do it. I uh, I mean, uh, now I believe he is going through an injury thing as well. So depending on how severe yeah. that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely yeah. a sprained ankle. That's his injury sprained right ankle. Um, and uh, but honestly, uh, he looked good against the Bengals last week. He was able to lead him through to victory last week against the Bengals. But, uh, you know, it, that's still a storyline. That's something that you definitely uh, don't want to forget. So, yeah, good thing you mentioned that. Yeah. So uh, I'm still thinking Chiefs. I think uh, I think uh, Mahomes is going to have uh, his second uh, Super Bowl ring. So, uh, Jerome, why don't we uh, get right down to business and talk a little basketball? And, uh, you know, uh, well, I, I did want to tee uh, up the trade deadline uh, by sharing how shocked I was. And I'm sure you were as well that uh, Kevin Durant was uh, being traded to the uh, was traded to the Phoenix Suns, as I found out first thing Thursday morning. Uh, like everybody else. However, we are now uh, learning that the four-team trade involving uh, your Atlanta Hawks is in jeopardy as Gary Payton uh, II, who was uh, involved in that trade, uh, supposed to be going to Golden State from Portland, is going through an injury mm-hmm. and failed a physical, reportedly, and it, the trade may not happen after all. Uh, you brought this to my attention just before we came on air. Uh, what do you know about what's going on? Yeah, so essentially, like, here's what happened. Uh, while Gary Payton II was playing for Portland, um, it seems like they made him play through what could be a very serious injury that could sideline him for months. And they told the media, they told reporters, like, he's going through a mental thing. It's nothing physical. So I I don't know what kind of organization or what kind of things that Portland was doing. They obviously were hiding something about Gary Payton um, before the trade so they'd be able to get off the contract. Um, So Golden State, they have until this Saturday to go through with the trade or the entire four-team deal will be rescinded. And just to the recap, 
you know, that means that James Wiseman won't be going to Detroit. He's going to go back to Golden State. Sadiq Bay won't be going to Atlanta. He's going to go back to Detroit. And Atlanta is going to get back the five second round picks that they gave up to Golden State that they gave the Portland. So the whole trade's going to reverse if the Golden State Warriors decide, yeah, we don't want an injured Gary Payton II on our team. Uh, let's not go through with it. Um, there are people that do think that the trade could still go through just because, A, it does provide luxury tax relief from the Warriors, even if Gary Payton II isn't playing. It's a bit of a cheaper contract than James Wiseman. So they could keep him because of that. And also, he still has two more years left on the deal. And GP2 is really a guy that the Warriors have missed this year. He was a guy that the Warriors, it, it's, prov it's been proven that he was a very valuable role player for them. And their defense has not been the same without him. So I still think there's a, there's a chance that the trade will still go through because they like him as a player. Gary Payton II likes that organization in Golden State. So um, I, I guess I'll just stay tuned, man. But that is a crazy wrench to throw in. And, you know, there's a small chance that the NBA could allow a period to reconstruct the trade. But since it's after the trade deadline, that just kind of makes things that much a, bit, a lot more complicated. Yeah. And uh, the uh, fact is, is that both James Wiseman and Gary Payton II uh, have uh, a championship ring after uh, uh, be, being a part of the uh, Golden State Warriors. And uh, a, a lot of people were thinking that uh, Peyton returning to Golden State was uh, a key piece uh, for the Warriors if they were thinking of getting back into a deep playoff run. Uh, speaking of your Atlanta Hawks, of course, Sadiq Bey uh, was uh, putting up some numbers for the Detroit Pistons, albeit uh, the Detroit Pistons are not uh, doing well at all this year. Uh, the Bay uh, did start 30 games uh, this season, uh, averaging close to 15 points a game. And uh, hearing that Bay was going to be uh, heading to Atlanta, what were your thoughts? And uh, now that everything has uh, come to light, uh, how much of a detriment would not getting Bay this season be for uh, the rest of the season? Well, you know, I'm not sure that Sadiq Bay would have really changed the entire trajectory of our season. Um, however, he is definitely a piece that was needed. Um, when we traded Danilo Gallinari for DeJounte Murray, although DeJounte Murray is a more talented player, we never replaced what Gallinari gave us. He was a stretch four that had the ability to create his own shot. And we never got any replacement for that. And our forwards this year just have not been shooting the ball well. John Collins is shooting a career low from the three-point line. I'm pretty sure it's under 30%. Yeah, he's shooting 25.3% from three this year. And uh, Jalen Johnson, who is the backup for John Collins, he's not a good three-point shooter as well. Jalen Johnson is only shooting 23%. So we don't have any stretch four on the team. And that was definitely a need going into this deadline. And Sadiq Bey would definitely fill that void. Um, he's a guy that is a very good catch and shoot guy. He shoots 37% from the catch and shoot. 
But this year, he's also started, you know, delving into more shot creating as well. That's probably why his percentages are a little bit down, but he definitely is a knockdown shooter. He's not a guy that's going to exclusively play the power forward position. He's going to play both the three and the four. But one of our biggest weaknesses as well was backup small forward. Um, this team in general just doesn't have any depth, but our backup, our three main backups that we use were our guard, Bogdan Bogdanovich, our center, Onyeka Okungwu, and AJ Griffin, who was also a shooting guard. We don't have any backup for DeAndre Hunter. And when DeAndre Hunter had to miss a game, we were playing Justin Holiday 25 minutes a night. And Justin Holiday has been bad this year. So <laughs> Sadiq Bay would definitely cover a need for another forward, another forward that could definitely provide spacing because that's something we've sorely needed as well. Um, you know, he's just like his profile is a three and D guy, although his defense hasn't really been great in his first three years in the NBA. But uh, he's definitely a role player that we needed. Just more depth in general was necessary. And that's why I hope this trade's able to go through, because if it's not able to go through, then we just traded Justin Holiday. So our backup for DeAndre Hunter now would become Garrison Matthews. Uh, you know, Garrison Matthews, he's a solid passer, okay shooter, but yeah, that's not inspiring any confidence. So, you know, you hope that the Warriors just decide, hey, we like GP2, let's go ahead and bring in anyway, and we'll nurse you to health. But, um, you know, Sadiq Bey, you know, he would definitely bring a solid presence to the Hawks, but unfortunately, we're on the path to 41 and 41 that that's what we're on the path for anyway. So I don't think he would really change that. I think this team is a first round exit regardless and uh, still hoping we get in a new coach because Nate McMillan, um, he's, he's just not doing it for me. He's just not doing it for me. Well, you, you've been uh, very critical of McMillan over the past, uh, well, uh, pretty much uh, since I met you. And uh, it, it is funny you say uh, this because uh, uh, as he took over from uh, Lloyd Pierce, uh, uh, the Hawks finished first in the Southeast. Uh, mm -hmm. They uh, struggled uh, last year. Uh, and uh, really uh, during the Lloyd Pierce era, uh, Atlanta didn't make the playoffs at all. Uh, what is it about McMillan that uh, doesn't uh, jive with you? Because uh, now, uh, of course, Atlanta, they are, I believe, eighth in the uh, in the conference. They are in a position for the play-in. Uh, why are you not on that? Uh, why are you not a believer of McMillan? Well, you know, I'll first start off by giving him credit for that Eastern Conference Finals run because we needed a new voice in the room after Lloyd Paris. Lloyd Paris, he did not get along with everyone in the locker room, Name, mainly Trey Young. He didn't get along with Trey Young. He was a first-time head coach when he came to Atlanta. So Nate McMillan, he brought a veteran presence. And also one key factor is that even though we fired Lloyd Paris in the middle of the season, all of Lloyd Pierce's assistant coaches stayed on the staff throughout the rest of that season. So Nate McMillan was not the one really drawing up the plays or he's not, he was really using Lloyd Pierce's play calling his play designs. And, you know, with his voice and Lloyd Pierce's play designs, we were able to make a run. But when we re-signed Nate McMillan on the four-year deal, he brought in all of his own coaches. He brought in his own system. And the big problem about, th about that is there really is not much of a system to talk about, or it's very predictable. 
Um, when the fourth quarter comes around, you know what, exactly what the Hawks are going to do. And it's going to be a lot of Trey Young just dribbling the ball in, out of the air. A pick's going to come, and they're going to do a pick and roll, and then we're just going to make a contestant shot, and hopefully they make it. And then the next time around, DeJounte Murray's going to come and take his turn, and it's going to be a lot of your turn, my turn, and the ball movement just kind of stops too often. And uh, that's not really something that was an issue on the Eastern Conference Finals run. It was something that, you know, we moved the ball around quite often. And yeah, you can really point out that it may be Trey Young or DeJounte Murray. But, you know, when Trey Young's sitting down, the, the play style doesn't really change that much either. And it's just the lack of a system and the lack of adjustments made in the uh, in halftime as well. And just really what irks a lot of people is just his lack of trust in the young players. You know, AJ Griffin and Jalen Johnson, although Jalen Johnson is not perfect, um, you know, they do offer something to this team that is missing. AJ Griffin is a very good shot creator and Nate McMillan, he's, he's really just dragging his feet when it comes to giving the man playing time. Now he's getting at least 20 minutes a game now because we desperately need the shooting but when it comes to Jalen Johnson, you know, he's a young guy who is six foot nine. He's a very raw player, already discussed his shooting ability. But one thing he can't, two things he can do is pass and dribble. And they need to empower him to let him do that because he really needs to develop his game. But they want to put him in the John Collins box where he's only allowed to do one of two things, set a screen, shoot or drop to the basket and dunk. So just his, you know, style of development of young players and, you know, the fact that a lot of guys don't really see much development when they're under Nate McMillan. You know, you see Kevin Herter, the moment he left the, the Hawks and went to the Kings and went to a coach that played to his strengths, he was able to have a bit of a breakout year and he's playing really well for the Kings. Um, Nate McMillan, he's said on the record that he's not in it for development the development is over. That was his quote. Development is over. Winning starts now. Well, development is definitely over, but the winning has not really started. And uh, there's a lot of things you can point to in the Hawks organization. I'm not just pointing all the blame at Nate McMillan, but he definitely has not pulled his end of the bargain. Um, and just the games, and you see the games end up playing out too many times at the same time they play out too similarly and you can really predict what's going to happen with the hawks when it comes down to crunch time and if the fans can see it then the other teams are definitely able to see it as well so well you know, i mean I, that's uh that's one thing that i wanted to uh you uh, touched on ownership and atlanta uh uh when i think about it really has never had that elite level player i mean obviously there's uh now minus trey young of course but uh ever since dare i say dominique wilkins and when it comes to uh free agents and uh uh atlanta being a serious contender it really hasn't happened for that franchise uh what do hawks fans think of ownership with the team Oh, man. You know, ownership has been a hot button issue, uh, especially recently, because our uh, long time or not long time, you know, the general manager for us, Travis Schlenk, who came on board, I think it was 2017. 
I want to say 2017. I think that's the year John Collins was drafted. He came on board in 2017. He pretty much constructed the Eastern Conference Finals uh, roster, and he was able to, you know, build a team that was, you know, vying for the Eastern Conference Finals. And last year, we kind of under, we kind of like, you know, under, we we under delivered, you know, we disappointed a lot by losing in the first round. And that has prompted Tony Wrestler, our owner, to kind of just take the reins a little bit from Schlenk. And, you know, there were a lot of reports came out that uh, him and a lot of, uh, you know, him and his son mainly were pushing for that DeJounte Murray trade. Um, I bring up Tony Wrestler's son because he actually has a position in the team. And although he's not the main voice, he has a voice. And, um, you know, his son's never been in basketball operations at all. And, you know, he was one of the main ones pushing for the DeJounte Murray trade, but Travis Slank didn't want to do it. The owner overrode him. And that kind of just kind of created a division to where now Travis Slank's in the backseat. And we have Landry Fields in as our general manager and Kyle Corver as the assistant. But we all kind of know who's running the show. And it's Tony Wrestler. Um, and the big issue with that is because he's not willing right now to go over the luxury tax. And we see in basketball right now, you got to be willing to go over the luxury tax if you want to win in the NBA, if you want to win a championship. But after the DeJounte Murray trade, he traded Kevin Herter not to get better, but because he wanted to get below that luxury tax line. So not only is he running the show, but he's trying to penny pinch. And that has really upset a lot of fans in Atlanta because you're not going to win a championship if you're trying to cut below the margins, if you're not trying to go all in. So, um, you know, that's really been the point of contention with Tony Wrestler. I think the problem uh, that, well, the one the question that I have is, I mean, it would be worth it if uh, the team had the pieces it's interesting uh and we're we are going to talk about the toronto raptors in a few moments but if you have the pieces that could put you over the top then i think uh teams and ownership would uh uh you know do everything they can spend over the cap because mm -hmm. they know that they're going to see the return to me from my perspective it seems to be trey young and everybody else so i mean uh, like why spend over the cap if you don't have those pieces? Yeah, and that's that's definitely the other side of the argument, too. Um, I've seen that a lot. Um, and you know, that is definitely a good thing to say, but it, it's just it's really hard when you're trading away young players like Kevin Herter, who could definitely would have benefited on this team. Um, and you're trading them away just to save money. It's it's not really a great look, especially when you're trying to convince your fan base that you're trying to win a championship. I do understand that side of the argument, though, because, I mean, after what we saw last year, why would our owner have any faith in us really being a championship team? But I could also point out that if you're going to say that, then why would you then trade three first-round picks 
for DeJounte Murray. If you didn't think we we're really in the running for a championship, that's a championship move you do. You don't trade three first round picks if you don't think the team has a shot at a title. Like that's an all in type of move. So it, it kind of just sends mixed messages. And when the team is mediocre this year, we're going to point back to a trade like the Kevin Herter trade. And, you know, this like this kind of thing is just, it just when when your team's like you know in the middle of 500 when they're an eighth seed this is the kind of stuff that gets pointed out especially when you have all this turnover in the front office it's just not going to really put a lot of trust in the fans yeah and uh so uh that being said i mean uh what do you think uh trey's thinking about right now does he see a future in atlanta I mean, you, you gotta. I mean, I think Trey, he's not really gonna leave anytime soon. Um, you know, I understand, like, you've seen the story where, like, you know, Chris Hayes had pointed out, like, hey, Trey Young might want to demand a trade soon. And, you know, a lot of Hawks fans want to dismiss that. But the reality is, Chris Hayes has always been plugged into what clutch clients think. And Trey Young is a clutch client. So if he's saying that, then there's gotta be a little bit of validity to that. Um, I will. I've always said though, I don't really see any risk in Trey Young leaving anytime soon, unless Dejounte Murray decides that he wants to leave Atlanta in the free in free agency of next year. If that happens, and then all bets are off the table because Trey Young's gonna look at it, look up at it, and be like, "Well, now we don't have much assets. The team is still middling. We've used all our cap space on John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella, and we're just kind of a middling team." And he might demand a trade then. Um, but if he tries to do it within one or two years, the ownership's not going to do that. Um, they're going to keep Trey Young up until at least 2026 because his contract doesn't expire until 2027. But uh, Trey Young, I mean, right now, he's just trying to work through it. I would hope he's just trying to work through this rough patch and just trying to figure out, you know, how best to go about this. But um I think this offseason, especially the coaching decision, because I don't expect Nate McMillan to, you know, be with the team uh, after this year. It's going to be probably the most important coaching decision we have. And that's really going to play into how Trey Young feels about this team. Hopefully we can finally find a coach that meshes well with Trey Young. Want to give a shout out to Aaron, who is listening via Twitter spaces. And uh, with everything that's going on, Jerome, uh, with Atlanta, Obviously, uh, they did make a trade. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, quickly about uh, Garrison Matthews. Uh, they also picked up Bruno Fernando from the Houston Rockets. Uh, Fernando, I'm sorry. Uh, whoa, what's Bruno, up? That, that's my man. He's uh, we, we he was on this team. Uh, we drafted him in the second round. I think it was mm. 2019. So yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to see Bruno back. So uh, there's a return of uh, Bruno Fernando. And hey, there's a return of Jakob Pertl to, to the Toronto Raptors, which we will get to in a moment. But with everything that is uh, happening with regards to the uh, four-team trade involving Sadiq Bey and Gary Payton um, and that um, possibly falling apart after all, uh, what do you think Atlanta's plans are for the rest of this season? Uh they are in a position to uh, uh, get into the play-in tournament. Do you think that they're uh, they're still trying to maintain course? I mean, yeah, you know, they're starting to just maintaining course. Uh, you know, the goal right now just avoid the play-in by getting the sixth seed. That's if you ask the players that, that's what they'll say. 
a quick shout out to Aaron, man. Thanks for joining uh, the What's Up podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think the goal is just to get out of the play-in. Um, I personally think we're just destined for 41 and 41. Uh, it's been proven throughout the season. Every time we lose two games, we win a couple games. It's been back and forth. We, this is a Nate McMillan team through and through. All those teams that he had in Indiana that lost in the first round, all those teams he had in Portland that lost in the first round, we're that. That's us. And that's our identity. So I think that's what we're destined for. But in terms of the goal, just make it out the plan and hope you get a good matchup in the first round. And we're probably just going to go ahead and lose in the first round. I think that's what what's, what this team's destined for. Well, Jerome, as you know, uh, the team that is near and dear to my heart is the Toronto Raptors. And uh, they were uh, quite popular. And a lot of people were thinking that they were sellers uh, for this uh, trade deadline. Uh, with the likes of Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., and OG Ananobi. Uh, Trent and uh, Van Vliet, uh, are, their contract is up at the end of the season. Ananobi, uh, will, uh, his contract will be finished at the end of the 24 season. And nobody of, of those three had left. Uh, they did make uh, one move, and that was Jakob Pertl returning to the Toronto Raptors for Canadian Cam Birch. San Antonio is also going to receive a first round pick in 24, as well as uh, a couple of second round picks, I believe, in uh, the 20 uh, for uh, the upcoming draft. Uh, are you surprised that the Raptors didn't do more at the deadline, considering uh, they had a lot of uh, players that uh, teams did uh, seem very intrigued to get uh, to get? Yeah, I am a bit surprised. Um, at the same time, though, I, I thought coming into this deadline, you know how there's so many middling teams in the league. And I think that because the play-in exists, a lot of those teams are going to trick themselves into believing that they still have a real shot at maybe contending if they are just able to get in the playoffs. Uh, for example, we saw the Bulls do this. They didn't make any trades, even though they probably desperately needed to sell and the Raptors, uh, they're a prideful organization, and they didn't want to just admit that, hey, this team isn't really up to snuff, and we need to go ahead and sell off guys like OG Ananobi and maybe even Pascal Siakam if the right deal comes along. So I'm a bit surprised, but I knew there were definitely going to be a lot of teams this deadline that didn't want to face that hard truth. So, uh, you know, the Raptors just turned out to be one of those teams. Uh, one question I do want to ask you is, do you think that this is probably the peak of OG Ananobi's value? Or do you think they're going to be able to get potentially more this offseason? Well, you know, it, it's so interesting because honestly, I really don't know where OG's head is at because obviously the – uh, the media and everybody closer uh, and working in NBA circles say that OG Ananobi uh, wants a trade. And that very well could be the case. But my question is, and I, I mean, obviously there's a lot of, uh, there could be a lot of people in OG Ananobi's camp that's saying that he could be a lot more than uh, what uh, he is uh, currently. I mean, I don't see OG Ananobi elevating his game to, uh, you know, being uh, the second option of a, a winning team. Uh, the uh, the fact is, is that he's a very clutch offensive player. He's one of the top defensive players in the league. But in terms of being a 
1-1-A combo on a championship winning team on a winning uh on a uh on a, a playoff contending team i don't really see that and i really wonder how much more does he think that he's going to elevate his game uh if he was to uh go somewhere else that yeah, means i think like oh and anobi uh you know he is he like the I don't I don't I wouldn't think he's the type of guy that would want to be the star player because a lot of the teams that were trying to get him are teams that are contending for a title that really were just looking for a really good three and D wing player, not necessarily like a second option to push them to the edge. So uh, is he like that type of guy that like use himself like that as a second option? Well, uh, it, it, OG Ananobi is somebody who's obviously uh captured a lot of hearts in this city and country he was a part of the uh the championship team although he didn't play but nobody really knows this person like he is a very introverted person and in terms of uh like i don't know how, how much of a leader he is uh, i don't know how uh like what he does think of the uh, system that the Toronto Raptors have and again as everybody uh just assumes that OG Ananobi wants out I for one don't really know if uh, that is in fact the case what I do know is is that he does go through injury injury problems he's injured now and uh go going into uh you know uh, the offseason and uh, the final year of his contract, uh, like you were uh, asking before what his trade value is. And yeah, maybe uh, you could have gotten top dollar for him now. But I really do wonder, I, I don't know if the jury's, uh, like, I, I, I'm not convinced yet in terms of if OG Ananobi wants, uh, wants out of Toronto. He won a championship. He is a part of a lot of marketing campaigns in Toronto and throughout Canada. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, it, it it does, uh, it, it real, I, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what, uh, what to make of him. Yeah, man. Well, uh, you know, with the addition of Yaka Pirtle, like, how do you feel he's going to, like, really impact your roster? Because I've said for a long time, man, you guys need some kind of big man in there. And at least he's a guy that's going to give you that presence down in the paint. Well, and uh, that's exactly what I've said, Jerome, uh, since the beginning. I believe I've even said it to you once or twice that the Toronto Raptors need a center. And they never, they haven't had it. Uh, well, I mean, obviously they had it in the likes of Gasol and Ibaka. Um, uh, but uh, somebody uh, like even a Jakob Pertl, uh, he uh, he was missed. And a lot of people didn't want to see him leave. Obviously, he was a part of the Kawhi Leonard trade. And uh, uh, obviously, everybody uh, just, uh, it was all about DeMar DeRozan and what he gave to the city. But there was a lot of uh, fans uh, uh, that were, uh, that did like uh, Jakob Pertl. And I'm actually uh, watching uh, the uh, Raptors jazz game as we are uh, live uh, currently. And um, I'm seeing the uh, the round of applause that uh, Raptors fans gave Jakob Pertl because they did have an affection for him. Him and uh, Pascal Siakam have a very strong relationship. And, it, awesome. and it, it's so funny because uh, my wife and I were watching the San Antonio Spurs game, ironically enough, the Jakob Pertl's last game as a San Antonio Spur. Mm -hmm. And 
in the back of my mind, I was wondering if Pirtle uh, and the Raptors were talking. And lo and behold, uh, it, it uh, came to fruition and uh, the trade was made. I actually love this trade. I think it's fantastic. I mean, uh, yes, uh, the Raptors gave up a first, um, but this is a piece that the Raptors need. If Ananobi stays here in Toronto, then you have uh, a Bulldog in Van Vliet. You now have uh, an all-star for the second time in Pascal Siakam because he is replacing uh, an injured player and he will be going to Utah in the all-star game. And uh, you have, and let's say Ananobi stays, then you have the rookie of the year in Scotty Barnes. You throw in a guy like Pirtle. No, like all five players don't have to score from the outside. You do need certain roles within uh, certain positions. You have now finally a seven foot tall center who, and uh, yeah, sure, maybe it would be nice if he could uh, jack it from the outside, but. You knew do you do need you do need to get uh get that glass. And I think that this is a complete win-win. Yeah, definitely. Like uh this is a team they've they've definitely needed that big man presence. And you know, return of Jakob Pertle, it's gonna be good. Uh he's developed quite nicely alongside Greg Popovich. And it kind of just seems like, you know, Greg Popovich took him in for a little bit, you know, gave him some seasoning, gave him some development, and then he gave him right back to Toronto. And now he's going to come back as a completely changed man, or maybe not completely changed, but more matured player. And uh, it's going to be even better than the first time he was around. So definitely good job by the Raptors for getting Yaka Pirtle. I, I think it was a solid move. Um, even though I would say that the Raptors should be sellers, if they're not going to be sellers, then this is about the, the kind as good of a move as they could have made. Um, you know, didn't swing for the fences for a superstar guy, but got better at a role player, got better between the margins and got a player that they definitely needed. Um, Kem Birch is a guy I've always liked. Um, but I think that, you know, the Spurs, obviously they just wanted some kind of draft capital. So Jakob Pertl, definitely a good move for the Raptors. And, you know, he's going to help them with their play-in push a lot. He's definitely going to help them with that. Well, as things uh, stand right now, the Atlanta Hawks are two and a half games behind the Miami Heat for six in the Eastern Conference. The Raptors are four and a half games back. And it does intrigue me about what teams should do when it comes to either going for uh, a playoff push by being a low-level seed or uh, tanking, uh, getting draft picks, and uh, thinking about next year. Obviously, this year is uh, very, very special with uh, the young man out of France, Victor Wambinyama. Uh, people are calling him the uh, next LeBron James, maybe even better, uh, and Scoot Henderson as well. Uh, you know, in a general sense, uh, Jerome, where do you fall in terms of what teams should be doing to, uh, like, just make the playoffs and hope for the best? Or do you think that there should be an area of rebuild where teams try and get some draft capital, try and get some prospects, and uh, look towards the future? 
I can't really say that a team should be trying to push for, you know, the play in, um, you know, maybe getting like, you know, that six seed. If you're in position to do that, then sure, push for that. But if you're, say, the 11 or 12th seed right now, you know, what's really going to be the difference? Even if you make the playoffs, okay, you're going to get creamed by Boston or you're going to get, <laughs> you know, spanked by Giannis and the Bucks. You know, there. what's the upside there? So I think that, honestly, in a draft that's this special that not only has Wembenyama, like Wembenyama is enough to where you want to do your best to put yourself in a position to get him. He's a guy that's going to change his franchise. The problem, of course, uh, respectfully, the problem is that it's a 14% chance. True. Uh, True, very true, but, you know, it's a flat, there is, like, flattened odds, and, uh, you know, for a team that's, like, in 11th or 12th place, uh, we've seen in the past, like, the the Pelicans and the Grizzlies mm-hmm. had the ninth and 8th best odds, and they jumped all the way up to 1 and 2, so if, you, if you're in that fringe, you're on the borderline of the play-in, I don't see the upside in trying to go for it, man. Just go ahead, play as many young guys as you can, sit your veterans down. You know, if you're a team like the Wizards, you know, there's no need for Bradley Bill to come in and play. You know, let the young guys take the reins so you can put yourself in position to, even if you don't get the one and two pick, there are still some really good prospects in this year's draft. Like, this is a solid draft, especially in the lottery so you this is a draft you want to put yourself in position to get a good young player it's what i wanted the hawks to honestly do i I really wouldn't have been mad if they traded away clint capella or bogdan bogdanovich for picks and tried to just kind of get a bit younger because this is a solid draft to where if you hit on a prospect then you could really change the trajectory of your team regardless if it's Wimbenyama or scoot henderson the, the the argument that I would have is that Atlanta, to me, is no different than Toronto. Because as Atlanta wants to try and build around Trey Young, there is a uh, surefire uh, star in Scotty Barnes. And if you scrub the, uh, the talent that both teams have, mm-hmm. uh, Trey Young and Scotty Barnes, would there's no reason why they would want to stay. Mm-hmm. So w- the way that I see it is, um, ma- you know, maybe hope for the best when it comes to a draft. But, hey, take a look at that star-studded uh, 2003 uh, draft. You had LeBron James. You had uh, Carmelo Anthony. You had Dwayne Wade. You had Chris Bosh. But picked at number two was Darko Milicic from the Detroit, Pi- uh, uh, from the Detroit Pistons. So mm-hmm. uh, just because it's a star-studded lineup doesn't mean that you're going to hit the number. That's true. That That's very true. And uh, that's always uh, the biggest argument when it comes to the draft in any sports. But in the NBA especially, it is a crapshoot. Uh, you know, even if you're drafting up the number two, how many number two overall picks have we seen bust out? You know, we just saw the number two pick of like three years ago get traded from Golden State. So, you know... It's a real crapshoot, and that's definitely an argument for that. At the same time, uh, a lottery pick, it can also be used for trades. Uh, The Lakers got the number four pick in that same Zion draft, and they used it to get Anthony Davis. 
So, you know, those picks could definitely be traded for a superstar player as well. And even if Trey Young or Scotty Barnes might be a little upset now, if we get a superstar player in the top 10 of the draft, I think those issues will be resolved because he'll see that the team was made better because of that. But that is definitely a worry. And it's, that, that you're not wrong at all. Like, I don't think Trey Young would be happy at all if the Hawks just decided to, hey, we just traded for DeJounte Murray, told you we were pushing for a championship. But yeah, we're going to get a little bit younger and we're going to go ahead and take a step back. That's not going to make him happy at all. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be, it remains to be seen. I, I, you know, I, I think around these parts, obviously, uh, Toronto winning the championship in 2019 and uh, the appetite is uh, a lot different. And uh, you know, it's not so much about uh, that we are so grateful to be in the dance and, uh, you know, to make uh, the second or the conference, uh, second round or the conference final and that, uh, you know, fans want results. And the way that I see it is, you know, well, first of all, the Raptors could not have won the championship at a worse time because the season after uh as they were defending that championship was canceled because of covid then they had to spend the next year in tampa so uh if there was an absolute worst time to win the nba championship it was definitely 2019 that being said uh look at what has happened since then they uh uh, uh took a step back were able to draft somebody somebody like scotty barnes and it does seem now, uh, you know, uh, it remains to be seen what exactly the uh, the temperament is of the uh, of the roster, but it seems that Van Vliet and uh, Siakam are on uh, a page. Siakam seems very, very intrigued to stay in Toronto. Barnes, uh, you know, seems to be uh, a, a, just an absolute blessing. And, uh, you know, uh, the X factor, maybe it's Ananobi. I think the future is really bright up here. I think that the Raptors, maybe this season, not so much. I think they got some, I think they got pieces. Yeah, You know, like there is definitely reason for optimism. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to get into that a little bit. Um, you know, I explained um, a lot of what's going on with the Hawks and why they're kind of mediocre. But, um, you know, I look at the Raptors and there's a lot of players that I like and players that are having some really solid seasons, but it just hasn't really came, all came together. And I know uh, you have not been a big Nick Nurse fan. Uh, which is surprising because that's that's a guy, if he was on the market this offseason, I would want the Hawks to snatch him right up. Mm. So, like, what is with it with uh, Nick Nurse? Why haven't you really, like, you know, seen eye to eye with what he's been doing with your team? I, I really have a low tolerance when people complain to referees. That's number one. Every time I uh, like the referees make a call, Nick Nurse does not do any favors by uh, opening his mouth as if he's uh, shocked and like he's always chirping at the referees. I'm surprised he's not uh, teed up a heck of a lot more, but his theatrics uh, to referees, I don't think does any favors at all. That's number one. Number two. I think that a lot of people are saying how much he uh, 
you know, is a, uh, you know, he tries different combinations. I don't really see it. I mean, I think that there are a lot of instances where he could have used his bench a lot more. Uh, during the uh, bubble playoff run, he insisted on using Marcus Gasol. Serge Ibaka, to me, would would have been a way better option because Marcus Gasol just kept on jacking threes offensively. Uh, Aaron Baines was an absolute dumpster fire. He just kept on jacking threes. He never uh, was um, uh, any presence down low. And to me, there's only so many players that has a full court game especially offensively you know not everybody is carl anthony towns so uh the the whole notion that every center is an outside shooter is not the case so uh you know uh that and uh there was a stretch where uh like a good number of toronto raptors was top five and six in minutes played that is not a good thing. You should not have um, uh, your core guys uh, at the top of the uh, league for minutes played, especially when they are uh, 10th or 11th. Uh, currently, the Raptors are in 10th. And uh, I, I don't think Nick Nurse uh, uses his bench uh, smart enough. And uh, coupled with the fact that... Uh, uh, the team uh, is uh, in love with the uh, three-point shot. I remember you and I called a couple of uh, Hawks-Raptors games. And uh, I was furious at the amount of times that they were uh, jacking up uh, threes. So I really don't think... Nobody has yet to convince me that Dwayne Casey would not have won the championship with that team. With Kawhi Leonard? With Kawhi Leonard. So, uh, you know, Dwayne Casey uh, was fired. He was coach of the year, ironically enough. Uh, uh, and uh, Masai had enough of him. But in the end, uh, I think uh, Nick Nurse is the beneficiary, uh, especially in the beginning, of a really solid roster. And... Uh, that's really... Uh, that's really how I see it. Now... Uh, Masai Ujiri uh, did uh, uh, come on record and say uh, how much of um, a gap there was in this number five position. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, I think that the Raptors do have some work to do for sure. Are uh, if they are able to get that uh, that center uh, remains to be seen. But uh, the trade for Jakob Pertl, I think, uh, I think is a step in the right direction. I will say, when you said that he chirps at the ref all the time, you, you know, him and Trey would be a match made in heaven. Because, <laughs> man, oh, man, like that, that just Trey Young, every single time there's a call, you can see him turning his head and giving the stank face to him. So, uh, you, you know, oh, and you said the team shoots a bunch of threes. That is the polar opposite of Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan loves his mid-range diet. He loves it. So, I mean, hey, look, I understand your, uh, you know, your points of frustration with Nick Nurse. And, you know, you do bring up some good points, man. But, uh, you know, I, I think 
I think that, you know, I, I would like to see that, you know, I, I'd like to see anything other than Nate McMillan in Atlanta, you know, even though, you know, chirping at the refs that can get annoying. I'd rather see that than Nate McMillan's blank stare and him crossing his arms <laughs> or putting his hands on his hips for all 48 minutes of the game and not having a word to say. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we all love our organization. We both love our organizations right now. And we both love the coaches of our organizations. And when they both stay on the team next year, we're going to be very happy. Yeah. Well, uh, who knows uh, what could happen? I mean, uh, traditionally, uh, teams who are uh, low level playoff seeds, uh, don't make a, a Cinderella run. Could this year be different? Uh, remains to be seen. So, uh, uh, Jerome, I'd uh, really love to get your thoughts on uh, what took place in Tinseltown. Of course, uh, the LA Lakers are not having a strong year despite having the uh, greatest score in NBA history. Uh, Russell Westbrook and the uh, marriage in uh, Los Angeles is over. Uh, he is now a member of the Utah Jazz. He is not in Toronto uh, and is not suited up for uh, the Jazz. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt is heading uh, to L.A. Yeah, apparently Russell Westbrook is a vampire of basketball. Did you hear that soundbite? No. Yeah, like somebody on ESPN said that, you know, he... He said that a source in the league said that like Russell Westbrook is a basketball vampire, as in he like sucks the life out of teams. Like it's just really I'm weird. completely with that. <laughs> I am not a Russell that. Westbrook guy. Oh, I mean, wow. no, because uh, I'm sorry. To me, Russell Westbrook is one of those guys now, and it's so ironic because you could see the effort that he brings each and every game. Mm -hmm. He does not make people around him better. Oh man! Well, you know, before I before we get into the LA teams, uh, I definitely saw that uh, Russell Westbrook is uh, definitely up. Uh, you know, if he gets a buyout from the Utah Jazz, he's most likely headed to either the Bulls or the Miami Heat. As a Hawks fan, I would love to see him on the Miami Heat because that does not fit whatsoever. <laughs> um, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo playing with Russell Westbrook. Uh, yeah, no. But, uh, hey, the Heat are ahead of us in the standings, and that would definitely work out for the Hawks. But Well, I mean, uh, where would somebody like Russell Westbrook fit? I don't know if they're – I mean, you know, take Ironically, a look at – I think he would fit in the Utah, like the Utah Jazz is probably the one place where I could actually see him doing his thing at, because right now it seems like the Jazz are kind of angling toward uh, taking a step back and go ahead and going with the original plan of tanking and rebuilding. So, you know, alongside Laurie Markkinen, who isn't a guy that needs the ball too much to be a successful and useful player, I think Russ can just be in Utah, not have nearly as much media attention on him, and just get his triple-doubles on a losing team. And, you know, I, I think that's really where Russ should stay. Chicago? So, you, so you're thinking that he rides off into the sunset? not rides off into the sunset, but like Utah would be a place where if he can just, the only time we would see him on the news is if he got a triple double or, you know, the occasional 30, 40 point game. And, you know, he'd just be able to slowly rebuild his value. So when he's a free agent next year, he might actually have some suitors. 
going to the Bulls mm. with with Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, like, no, that's not going to work. Uh, the Miami Heat, although the culture there would be good for him, it would be a winning culture, and maybe they could get a lot of those bad IQ plays out of his system. I don't think that's going to really work in the long term either. Um, but the Utah Jazz, that's probably the place where he should stay, but it doesn't really seem like he's a guy that's self-aware enough to know that you probably should just stay on a losing team right now. He's probably going to just angle for a big city or something like that, and I don't think it's going to work out, especially if he goes to the Bulls. That just That's a recipe for disaster. Well, you know what? I did have to say that uh, that brief time that he was in Washington – I thought that he improved himself. So, I mean, like, if the same thing does happen in Utah, then, you know, that might be something that uh, maybe have helped. Now, Laurie Markin is heading to the All-Star game. So, uh, you know, uh, he just seems to be uh, the kind of per, uh, player that demands the ball, that is not able to uh, work behind the scenes. So, uh, you know, is he going to uh, work uh, in uh, Utah? But I mean, uh, to your point, uh, they are on the outside looking in. So what do they have to lose? Yeah, exactly. The problem is, is, is he going to stay? Um, Is he going to stay in Utah? Like, no, nah, mm. I don't think, yeah, I don't think the, the Jazz are really going to even try to like re-sign him either. Um. But I think, you know, if they if it's just like a one year thing, like, hey, Russ, you know, just go ahead, do your thing. We're not really trying to win games anyway. So get your triple doubles, rebuild your value. And, uh, you know, thanks for the first round pick, L.A. And I think like after that, they'll let him go off to wherever team he wants to go to or whatever team uh, probably is going to try to be like, oh, let's see if Russell Westbrook can tap into that MVP form again. Um, but going to a team like the Bulls or something like where he has to play with other players who need the ball to, to succeed again, I don't think that's going to really work out. And it's another big name city, so he's going to be on national TV. He just needs to be away from the spotlight. And uh, that's why Washington worked so well, because he didn't really have that pressure on him that he had in L.A. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of L.A., uh, they are in a worse position than uh, Utah. They're uh, currently six games under 500. Uh, a lot of people are thinking that uh, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley uh, could be uh, people that can help. Uh, are they right? Do you think L.A. Uh, may have a chance to salvage the season, uh, perhaps uh, squeak into the uh, to the play-in tournament? I am so surprised they were able to get this much for Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, because like they could have traded him for, you know, just a random bench player and given up a second round pick. And you could say that, yeah, the Lakers got better just off virtue of getting off of Russell Westbrook. But the fact that they actually got back two guys that could actually be solid role players and one guy in Malik Beasley who hasn't really played that great recently, but at least he's a solid shooter. So there's that, um, you know, they were actually able to get back a, a D'Angelo Russell who this year he's averaging 18 points 
And, you know, he's never been much of a distributor, but he's a guy that can knock down threes. He's shooting 39% from three this year. And he's matured a lot off since he was last in LA. He can play off ball a lot more. And, uh, you know, just being a guy that can occasionally get buckets while LeBron sets the table and Anthony Davis, if he's healthy, is going to be that big man in the center. You know, just D'Angelo Russell just being able to, create his own shot and be a spot-up guy if necessary that's definitely a solid addition for LA and Jared Vanderbilt is a guy I wanted the Hawks to trade for I was hoping we would get we would trade John Collins for Jared Vanderbilt because he is a very solid defender he's really good defensively Um, he's a guy that is a forward six foot nine and he's a solid rebounder and he's a dude that is just defensively that's his calling card and uh you know i think that's definitely going to help with him and anthony davis manning the paint that's definitely something that's going to be hard for teams in the west to contend against um offensively though that is a big question mark because he's never been much of an offensive player not really a great shooter so um i think the return they got for russell westbrook is way more than i thought they would ever get does it make them a championship contender no it doesn't but i at least think the lakers are gonna make the play in now because i mean they don't have russell westbrook holding them down anymore and i hate to say it like that but that's kind of what was happening russell westbrook just did not fit on that lakers team at all and now now they have two role players who fit well on the team. I think LeBron, he has a lot more to work with today now. How surprised you were you to see uh, Kevin Durant in Phoenix and that trade happen after all? Whew, you, man, that was that was just a shockwave, wasn't it? I was, you know, I was in my bed just getting ready to go to sleep and all that. And then all of a sudden, like it just it just happens just like that. And Kevin Durant goes to the phoenix suns i know i saw it like it you know when when uh Kyrie trade went down i knew that it was kind of a chance to happen but i didn't think it was really something that was gonna bubble up so quickly but what really surprised me the most is how little the phoenix suns had to give up and in a vacuum yes you know they did give up a lot mikhail bridges uh cam johnson jay crowder who wasn't even playing for them this season and then four first round picks like that is a lot in a vacuum but it's kevin durant man like the nets i don't know why it's 39 year old kevin durant it's kevin he's 35 oh sorry sorry 35 yeah yeah 35 but i understand what you're saying but like it's it's still kevin durant he's still playing at an mvp level he had brooklyn in the second seed when he was healthy like He's a game changer, and you would at least think if they're going to trade for KD, they would have had to at least give up DeAndre Ayton, maybe not Devin Booker or Chris Paul, but, you know, I would think that Ayton would have been in that trade. There's, I, don't, I wouldn't think there's any way Brooklyn lets them keep Ayton if they're getting off of KD, but uh, that's what I was really surprised by, the fact that the Suns were able to keep majority of their core, or their three big players, rather. They were able to keep their core, add Kevin Durant, um, although depth is going to be an issue, health is going to be a huge issue, especially with Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. That's the one question mark that doesn't have like I can't just say they're automatically going to be a championship team, but they put themselves right in that conversation after a season that has really been up and down. This is a big move for the Suns and man, Brooklyn, 
You know, I, I, I don't think they're like completely cooked. I like some of their young players. Cam Thomas has been very solid, very good these past few games. But, you know, to have three top 25 players on your team and lose all three of them, have all three of them demand a trade in the span of a year. Like, what does that say about your organization? Well, I mean, I'm sorry. I am putting it to one person, and that's Kyrie. I, I, I cannot see how, and okay, who knows what the relationship is like with uh, Kevin Durant and James Harden, but, you know, you trade Harden, you get Ben Simmons. He doesn't seem to be the hungriest uh, uh, kid on the, uh, in the classroom. So, Mm-mm. well, like it's, I, I, I mean, like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you have to put something on Sean Marks for, uh, for acquiring these people, but, I I just think that Kyrie is uh, a, a a player that we have never ever seen before because of his off court uh, uh, antics. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's definitely a, a unique cat. Um, <laughs> I, I think I really do think though. Um, you know, we've seen other guys kind of have a a you know a bit of a reputation around the league as well. Um, you know and. I know we were talking about L.A. and well, I thought we were talking about Kevin Durant, but uh, I guess getting into that Kyrie trade, a lot of people are automatically just assuming that it's not going to work between Kyrie, Luca, and the Mavs. And I, they well, think I mean, that- how can you not think that way? I mean, the reality is, is that he wanted out uh, of Cleveland after he won the championship. Then everything that happened in the bubble and uh, not wanting to play because of the Jacob Blake shooting and then uh, him not wanting to take the vaccine. Now he wants to get out of Brooklyn. He got out of Brooklyn. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if we're uh, finished talking about Kevin Durant, but I guess you could tie in uh, Kyrie together. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, Kyrie, like, um, you know, before I get to that big point, yeah, with Kevin Durant and the Suns, um, just to end that point, um, I do think the Suns, like, you know, that's just going to be a hard team to really defend against. Uh, you know, Devin Booker and KD on the team, like, they're both elite scorers in this league. You got Chris Paul there to set the table for them. And then DeAndre Ayton's there to be that uh, big man down in the paint. And he can even score in the paint as well. He scored 18 a game. The big question mark with him is how's his defense going to look? Because uh, Aiden always has been up and down in terms of the defense. And that's going to be a big key, especially because the Suns, you know, the buyout market is definitely going to be an area they're going to pay attention to. So, you know, right now their depth isn't really that great. But, um, you know, I think with a coach like Monty Williams, he's going to know how to implement all of these guys. And uh, it really is just a matter of health. That's the biggest question mark because every single year it always seems like something comes up with Chris Paul in the playoffs. Recently, there's something always coming up with Kevin Durant in the playoffs. And even though the Suns are very talented right now, we just saw the Brooklyn Nets, who are very talented themselves, just have to tear it all down because it didn't work out. So they put themselves in the driver's seat, but Denver is going to have something to say about it come playoff time for sure. I was just going to bring it up. Right now, Phoenix are is eight and a half games behind Denver. 
if uh, these two meet in the playoffs, who are you taking? I'm sorry, I can't make that choice right now, man. The biggest major factor is I got to know, like, how healthy are the Suns going to be in that matchup leading into it? Like, uh, what's it going to look like? Because Okay, know, okay. Healthy yeah. for healthy. Healthy for healthy? Okay. Healthy for healthy. I think Kevin Durant is going to make – he's going to be the ultimate difference maker. Um, I know Jamal Murray just came back for Denver, and the last time they played in the playoffs, they didn't have Murray. So, you know, Jokic was very handicapped, but the Suns were still able to sweep them. And with Kevin Durant, I mean, yeah, the Denver Nuggets, they did add Murray, and they are pl- – and, and Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon, too. Like, I, I can't discount that. Aaron mm-hmm. Gordon – Cantavius mm-hmm. Caldwell Pope, like that's a very well-rounded roster, but healthy for healthy, I think that Kevin Durant's just the ultimate equalizer, um, and I think they're gonna give him a, a tough time. It's gonna be a lot like that Houston Rockets Golden State Warriors series back in 2018, um, where it's gonna go seven games, but we saw then when you have enough high-end talent. I think that's just the way that you're going to be able to overcome a team like Denver in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, they got a good coach. Like, coaching is going to make the huge difference there. And I believe in Monty Williams a little bit more than Mike Malone. I think Mike Malone, he's still got to show me that he could really lead a team all the way to the NBA Finals. Monty Williams has at least shown that without Kevin Durant. Well... I mean, the, uh, the reality is that the Phoenix Suns uh, have uh, now uh, catapulted into a uh, contender in not only the Western Conference, but to win uh, the championship. Uh, finally, uh, about back to uh, Kyrie and the Dallas Mavericks. Do you actually think that Kyrie will find a place of serenity and find a relationship with the uh, Dallas Mavericks, like uh, a relationship that he's never had in his career? You know, if there is any player, because the only player that's kind of been able to rein, I guess, rein in Kyrie and have him focused squarely on the championship is LeBron James. But I think Luka is definitely, and Kyrie's played with some talent, but Luca might be the second best player Kyrie's ever played with. So I think it's going to hinge on him. If Luca is really good enough to, you know, lift the Mavericks to through the uh, conference finals, then adding a Kyrie Irvin, I think just that talent alone could be enough to where Kyrie just focuses squarely on basketball for the next few months. And if Kyrie can be self-aware enough to know that, Hey, I have to really prove to teams that I am a max player. I have to prove to the Mavericks that I'm a max player. If he, I think when Kyrie squares in on basketball, I think he is one of the best guards in the league. And absolutely, one thing you can say is like there has been other players who gained a bit of a weird reputation around the league. A uh, prime example is Dennis Rodman before he went to the Chicago Bulls had a very wild, bad reputation as an unpredictable player. But when he went to a championship uh, situation, 
his he was able to change his attitude just enough to be able to focus on the championship. Mark Aguirre back in the 1990s, he was traded from Dallas to Detroit and he had a lot of bad press on him as well. A lot of Dallas said they said a lot of wild things about Mark Aguirre, but he was able to come into Detroit and he was the ultimate difference that made them a two-time championship winning team. So there is a chance Kyrie can be that. Is he going to be self-aware and mature enough to just focus squarely on basketball is the big question. That I don't know because I'm not going to try to predict what Kyrie does. I You can't do that. It, it, you can't predict what he does. But I do think there is that possibility. I'm not just going to completely rule it out. I'm not just going to say Kyrie is the worst. He's not going to work at all because we've seen in the past that players shift their attitudes if there's a chance to win a championship. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm I think I'm pretty close you, to saying yeah, that. Yeah, what, what what are your thoughts about I I I I don't see it. I mean, there is nothing saying that uh Kyrie is going to you know uh figure it out and then uh just be dedicated all about basketball. I mean, he is just Everything revolves around him not playing, not wanting to play for whatever social reason, for whatever uh, team unity reason. Or he might just plain up get injured. Like sometimes he just plain old gets injured and he's out for like a month or two. Sure, sure. Uh, and, and it is such a shame. Um, obviously, Mark Cuban uh, is one of the more visible owners in uh, in sports history. But there is, I will be shocked if uh, we don't hear any more nonsense about Kyrie Irving throughout the rest of his career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kyrie, he's always one to, you know, back when he played for Brooklyn, he, I mean, not Brooklyn, Boston, he had the famous quote, I have to show these guys how to win. And that question mark is just like, is he going to come to the Dallas organization and just be like, yeah, I'm going to be the leader of this thing. And, follow my lead and then event or you know there could just be some random thing that pops up that takes him out of basketball and like I said man you cannot predict what Kyrie's gonna do because when you try to do that he is going to swerve you every single time and um you know yeah well maybe maybe he'll uh, put out a rap album like uh Ron Artest and then uh go completely uh nutso like uh Artest did Ron Artest, but Ron Artest is another guy that people said when he got traded to the Lakers, people were saying all types of stuff about him, but he helped them win a championship too. So yeah, like I said, there are instances where players that gain a bad rep, they, you know, they do eventually mature. So, you know, there is that chance for Kyrie and we see how good he is on the basketball court. If we just get Kyrie focused purely on basketball, that Luca Kyrie duo is going to be magical. But just on the basketball side of it as well, you know, their defense is a big question mark, too, because teams are just going to attack Kyrie and attack Luka. And they, you know, Jason Kidd's defensive schemes have been good. And he's been a coach that can coach a team to a top five, def top 10 defense. So it's just going to be really interesting to see, like, what they can do, because on defense, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dwight Powell and Christian Wood, none of those guys are scaring anybody. And those are the guys <laughs> you have backing up Luca and Kyrie. 
And, you know, you just got to hope that you're not giving up 150 every night when those two play. Yeah, well, hey, great stuff. I mean, uh, it was definitely one of the more exciting NBA trade deadlines in recent memory. And uh, is the uh are the uh, uh la clippers who we really didn't talk to uh talk oh, about yeah. all that Shout much the clippers man i mean uh between uh getting eric gordon uh mason Plumley, picking up bones highland uh it seems that uh steve ballmer is doing everything he can uh to try and get uh the clippers uh over uh to the promised land for the first time in uh in their franchise history well jerome uh it's always uh great to talk sports with you uh, it's been a it's been a few months uh, since you and i got together i really hope you and yours are doing well and uh thank you so much for joining me i really hope that we could uh do it again soon yes sir man and you know hey uh both of our teams look to be uh heading toward the play-in path so you know it'll be a uh, real interesting to see if you know, the Hawks and the Raptors uh, cross paths to see who can make the playoffs. And maybe, just maybe, losing a play-in game wouldn't be the worst thing for either team. Might force one of our coaches out the door. So, I'm just saying. <laughs> might be a situation where maybe we don't want to win the game. You know, I might just be like, hey, Raptors, playoffs, it's lit. You know, oh, it sucks. The Hawks can't win in the playoffs. We have to fire our coach. Mm -hmm. Oh, boo-hoo. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, if that was the, ca uh, the case, I'll definitely uh, reach out to you and uh, we'll get some reaction and we'll talk about that and uh, maybe have uh, a couple other sports as well. Yes, sir, man. Well, hey, great show. Great talking to you again. And thank you for having me on. No, the pleasure is definitely mine. He is Jerome Boateng. Uh, try and find him on uh, social media. He does some great things, uh, basketball and sports-wise. Uh, the Pack Zone, as well as uh, Fresh Prince underscore 76. That's right. uh, if you need a voiceover, man, definitely hit me up, too. I got the voiceovers, man. I, I just I, I like talking. So, you know, commentaries, voiceovers, ads, you name it. I got you. So just stay in tune, you know, definitely doing some things, man. Appreciate you for having me on. No, definitely. Definitely. I am Randy Kure. This is what's up the sports podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you're doing well and keeping safe. We will talk to you next time.